Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how we can show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Today, we're going to talk about what to do if and when abuse happens in the life of your kids and how do we engage post-abuse care. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to start off by saying there is no one right way to navigate abuse once it has been uncovered. And it's imperative that we understand that every abuse story is going to be nuanced and have its own dynamic. But the kind of the overarching synthesis or the overarching emphasis for today is loyalty has to be to the kid, not to the abuser. And I'm going to say that one more time. Loyalty has to be to the kid, not to the abuser. And I'm going to go through with you what is going on in the mind of a child. What are they doing in internally if and when abuse happens and they become unsupported in that particular process. As we understand trauma, often it is not an event in itself that is going to cause or inflict a trauma, at least in the long term. Often trauma and a trauma response, so when when you think of like post-traumatic stress reaction, it's going to be really exacerbated by the lack of an intervening adult or the lack of resources to deal with the trauma. And that's what I want to talk about today is if kids experience experience a really hard event in their life and no one comes alongside of them and navigates it with them, especially safe adults, the prevalence of post-traumatic stress reaction, chronic stress, long-term consequences becomes far more likely in their story because the number one buffer is going to be an adult and the number one kind of catalyst for worse outcomes is going to be the lack of an adult presence or the lack of a safety presence to help a child navigate response. And so what I want to talk about is kind of starting with the brain structure of a child. This is not going to be diving into the hard science, but I want to go through three specific stages of development. When we're talking about a child that is zero to six years old, we're talking about a child that really is held hostage in their own world by the belief systems that the adults in their world share with them. So they don't have the opportunity to go out into different communities and synthesize information and make judgment calls. It just doesn't work. These are going to be kids who are in a home of origin, have limited access to to resources and whatever's going on in the home becomes their normal. That's why I'm going to reference back to Monday's episode. That's why we try to do as many proactive environmental um, helps in the home from zero to six to help a child navigate the world better. What happens when there's a breakdown under six is we have what's called schemas develop. And from a clinical perspective, schemas are really, really tough to undo. And sometimes you, you don't get to actually countermeasure a schema because it's so pervasive in a child's understanding of the world. One of my clients that I walk, I've walked with her for the broad side of about a year and a half now, and she very much remembers when she was quite young and her father passed away. Um, I, th- I want to say she was maybe three or four when this particular conversation happened. But one of her first memories in this whole world and her whole history is she's talking with an adult and her mom is going through just the throes of grief because her, her husband is no longer with them. She's now entrusted with raising two kids on her own. And an adult says to this young child, again, she's maybe two, three, four years old at this point in time, the adult says, your job is to keep mom happy, okay? Never forget to to work on keeping your mom happy. And so when my client shows up in therapy, you know, 35, 40 years later, she's lived her understanding of the world through that particular statement of her entire job is to make her mom happy. Now think through that. What does one have to do if their entire being is offered up to someone else to manage 
her mother's emotional reactions, her mother's emotional vacillations. At, at ages three, four, and five, she learned it's your job to protect your mom. Now, unfortunately, in this client's story, she was also exploited at a young age, but her job was to protect her mother. She did not learn that her mother's job should have been to protect her. And so this has become a schema in her life where she allows things to unfold in her story, where she doesn't have boundaries, where she doesn't have rights, where she doesn't have any sort of help or support because the schema says she's supposed to protect mom. We've got to understand kids under six run with really, really limited resources cognitively. So when we say things to them about what they're supposed to do when bad things happen, they're going to believe us. So if if an abuse uh, thing happens in their story and there's no one there to walk with them about what should have happened or what should not have happened, they're going to start to create stories and live out those stories as though they're actually truth because their brain doesn't allow any other type of organization. The second segment of kids that we have is through uh, seven to age 12. These kids, they're less rigid in their black and white thinking because now they are out in other environments. They're accruing information. They're learning a little bit more about adults who are safe versus unsafe, peers who are safe versus unsafe. They're starting to have preferences, but this is still very much a black and white period of life where they're going to feel uh, their feelings pretty intensely and you don't get to reason them out of their feelings necessarily. So if abuse happens at this point in a story, suddenly we have belief systems that are showing up here. So they might not be schematic, but they're going to be belief systems nonetheless, where bad things happen to me because I'm a bad person, or I must have been weak for someone to exploit me, or whatever it is, they start to create this story. And now this belief system is going to walk with them through through chapters in their future if no one is intervening on that destructive story. And no one is saying, look, something bad happened and I'm sorry it happened. You are not the culprit. You are a victim here. If no one's walking with them through that, and not, not a one and done conversation, but if no one is reminding them again and again that this should not have happened, you were a victim. If, if that's not being reiterated, a child is going to possibly create a story that causes long-term consequences. When we start to get to age 13 and beyond, the brain is growing in its infrastructure. We have what's um, the start of kind of the prefrontal cortex, the, the processing and the reasoning center in our brain. It starts to uh, create brain infrastructure at this point. And we can start to use abstract reasoning. So a child can at this point start to differentiate between something bad happened to me, not because I'm bad, but because the other person was bad. The perpetrator was bad. But prior to kind of puberty, this is just not logical to them. There isn't any brain infrastructure to support abstract thought, which is why we must walk with kids under 12 specifically through understanding their narrative, through using very clear linear language about you were a victim, this person was an abuser. And then if we want to create a sense of justice in their world, there has to be consequences for an abuser. Because if the message is you were a victim, but you were a victim. However, we're going to protect the abuser. I guarantee you that becomes a part of their story. And suddenly, well, sure, I can be victimized, but there's not justice anyway. So does it matter if I use my own voice? Does it matter if I go forward into this world and have boundaries? If there aren't consequences anyway, what does it matter? And I have walked with plenty of clients who they know that there was um, possibly, let's say it was a family member uh, sexually exploited a child. So whether it's um, like an aunt or an uncle, whether it's a cousin, uh, whatever that looks like, 
Um, uh, we've even had a, lately I've been walking with a client through a neighbor had exploited her. And basically what happens is the adults go behind closed doors and have a conversation and make nice and, you know, have strong words, but, but come to reconciliation. And the kids are left outside of that conversation and outside of that process. And I, I know cases where money changed hands and where hush money was, was part of the solution. And while that might appease the adults, which frankly, that's terrifying if that does appease the adults. However, if that does appease the adult, it still leaves a victimed child in kind of as collateral damage. And that is such an unkind thing to do to any child where their basically safety is being um, sacrificed at the altar of comfort. And we're saying, well, sure, it was bad, but kids are resilient. No, kids are learning loud and clear that they're not worth protecting if parents are going behind closed doors and, and engaging in behind the scenes um, remedying of a situation. The kids have to be brought in or their brain will create stories and in their brains they will be culpable they will not be worth defending they will be future victims potentially because in their mind if this happens to me I must have done something to elicit this type of consequence I cannot stress with you enough as much as I can't say that's a universal process that happens it is a very common process that happens and I'm sitting with person after person who who's saying like how could they have not protected me I was four I was six I was eight I was ten how did they overlook at how did they not protect me? And when kids realize that the adults in their life are not actually safe, my friends, it rocks your world. It is destructive. It is so immobilizing and so disorienting that I wasn't worth protecting. And you have to understand kids don't have alternative stories they can write. They operate in black and white. And that's why we have to honor that, honor their development and walk with them through the tough. Because again, if there's not a buffering adult, the chances of it being a traumatic outcome are very high, very low likely. One more reference back to Monday's episode. If you're not the one talking with them about the proactive things to keep them safe from abuse, and you as a parent aren't the one walking with them through the reactive things if abuse has happened, where else are they going to learn it? Like pause and reflect on whose responsibility is that? If you're as a parent too uncomfortable to have these conversations or you're too busy to have these conversations or you're too embarrassed to follow up if and when something happens, who else is there? You have to grapple with that. And I get it, it might be uncomfortable. If you are confronting an abuser, it might be absolutely terrifying. But at some point that has to matter less than what happens if the child does not get the help that they need. What happens if they're creating the story all on their own and no one is there to mitigate the consequences of that. We don't ask kids to keep secrets. We don't keep topics off limits and we have to understand that they will create a story if they don't understand why something has happened in their own story. The loyalty is to a child and again I can't stress that enough. Know to whom your loyalties belong. It does not belong to an abuser. If you need facts and statistics on sexually uh, sexual exploitation and child abuse I would encourage you. I've mentioned the show before the Joe Martino show. Um, episode 153 and 154. He did a great job of breaking down statistics. He did a great job of uh, cautioning parents to watch your reactions. If you do find out that abuse has taken place and you respond with shock and awe or disgust or whatever it is, the child is tracking that. The child is picking up on that. The child is creating a story about that response as well, which is why you have to temper your reactions and you have to advocate for a child. If things have to play out in the legal realm, I get that that's uncomfortable, 
but so be it. That might be what has to happen. And the reality is, if, if we're under the assumption that our child's been victimized and it's a one and done, rarely would that be accurate. Usually abusers have a very refined filtering system for finding people to abuse who will protect their secrets. And if you are willing to not protect their secrets, you might be interrupting what is a, a long line of carnage in the wake of their um, exploitation. And I, I want you to consider that. If you're not going to advocate for your child, who will? But also, what if you're the first one to advocate and interrupt an abusive cycle that might go on indefinitely towards other people. You have to understand it's not just you, it's not just your child, it's not just their narrative. It's potentially other victims are attached to this same perpetrator. And if you're not going to intervene, at what point does intervention happen? Please heavily consider that. Do not push things under the rug. Do not go behind closed doors and try to sort it out. Do not take on the role of judge and jury. That's why we have judges and juries. They are entrusted with these types of hard calls. They are entrusted with deciding where fault lies. It should never be on the shoulders of kids to walk this alone. It should never be on the shoulders of kids to navigate um, what the story possibly is because no one else was willing to walk with them through it. Our loyalty is to the kids, not to the abusers. And I don't know that there's a way to say that more simply. Choose your loyalty. And when it happens to be to an abuser, understand you're doing it wrong. That's just matter of fact. If the loyalty is not to protect the kids, you're doing it wrong. I don't want to necessarily end with such a forceful note, but I think that's where we have to end it. Please consider getting legal advice. Please consider getting therapeutic advice. Whatever that looks like, um, get professional help if you're in the throes of something and you don't know how to move forward with it, but your loyalty is to the kids. And that has to be an unquestionable posture. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope to come back next week with probably a bit more um, lighthearted topics. But also, again, the premise of this show is to dive into this tough stuff to help guide people through their understanding of trauma. If you have questions, feel free to connect with me at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. You can also connect with me on the Facebook page. And anytime you're willing to spend here, guys, it is so much appreciated. If you found this valuable, go ahead and share it. You can also like, follow, whatever that looks like. It's always appreciated. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.